0: This morning's Bible readings from Mark 2, 13 through to 17. Time for another wander down at the waterfront and a spot of fresh air, but of course all the locals decided to come along for the ride. So he spouted some good and sensible stuff to them along as they walked. And they walked past the, the craft stalls and the purveyors of that new age junk, and they bumped into Matt, aka Levi, doing his dodgy mobile tax assessments. Forget that stuff. Join us, Jesus told him. And blimey, he did. Well, Jesus scored a feed at Matt's place that night. And uh, Matt, well, he'd invited along all his money-grabbing mates, skanks and druggies, to meet Jesus and co. And the local Bible bashers, well, they didn't think too much of that. Look at him, they said, knocking it back with that bunch of write-offs. Stop your whinging, you guys, Jesus told them. This bunch are actually interested in what I've got to say. Whereas you lot, well, you're just basically full of yourselves. And with that, he moved on. Wise man that he was. (laughs) Good on
1: you, Kiwi Kelly. Oh, it makes me feel like I'm back home again in Dunedin, down on the South Island, you know? (laughs) Gumboots and all. Although I thought uh, Kiwi Kelly should have rolled his R's a bit more, shouldn't he? (laughs) Is that too close to gore? Gore, all right. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The calling of Levi when Jesus encountered him. You know, I had an experience over the last couple of weeks that has kind of served to shed some light on this passage of scripture for me. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but have you ever bought an item at a store, maybe through TradeMe or off the classifieds that was marked with the words "as is"? As is, yeah. I think we've probably all done that before. Well, I have to tell you, I've had a bad run with TradeMe lately. The last couple of items I purchased off TradeMe haven't been what I expected them to be. This time, I had a good mate of mine, and he suggested he thought it'd be a good idea if he and I went together in on a, on purchasing a trailer, and so. Uh, I thought that'd be great. And we had a limited amount in our budget, and so we thought we'd we'd uh, get on Trade Me and find a, find a reasonably priced trailer. Well, we came across one that had the title on the Trade Me, Trailer As Is. And then down in the description there, it had a few comments. One of them was, it needs a bit of welding. I thought, hey, that's something I can do. I'm a welder by trade, and so I can... Uh, I can fix this trailer up you know as long as everything else was in good nick we figured yeah we can do that and so we meaning mainly me went to look at the trailer and decided to buy this thing you know when i looked at it i saw it had a bit of rust there and i saw the other part that needed welding i figured no worries i can i can do that i can fix it right up and so i put it on to my tow ball there and drove it over to to my mate's house and we looked at it and we got to looking and walking around. The bed of the trailer looked like it was in good nick and so we thought, well, let's just have a, have a look underneath and see what it looks like because, of course, I didn't do that beforehand. I figured there was no need. Well, this is when my optimism kind of started to fall away a little bit and uh, when we looked underneath, we saw, we saw a bit of rust, actually saw a whole lot of rust, actually so much rust that it was unrepairable, bummer. So, my mate, being the good friend that he is, said, well, looks like we just paid a lot of money for a number plate. (laughs) Thus, I learned a lesson, really, in purchasing as-is products. Well, when I read the passage today, I began to think about that term, as-is. You know, we see it all the time. We see it in shops. Usually, they're on that table out on the sidewalk or maybe just in front of the door there, and it's all those things that they're trying to... Get rid of. And so you see these clothes maybe with a tag, as is, or maybe you see it on whiteware a lot of times where the whiteware's been scratched or damaged in some way and it says, for purchase, as is. Maybe it's on the display models. You know, you might come across a TV that everybody's had their their hands on, it's all fingers all over the screen and they just have this sign, as is. You can purchase it. Well, we see that all the time. And, uh, you know, it means... It means that this product has either been used or damaged or in some way it's not worth its original value. And I suppose that most people, they just walk by that as-is sign when they walk through the shop and they don't give it much notice because they know it's not worth its original value. But you know, when you come to this story of Levi, Levi, the the tax collector, you begin to see that Jesus often spent a lot of time around as-is kind of people. You know that kind of people that, uh, it's the kind of people that are damaged in some way. You know, he spent a lot of time around the people that uh, so many others just simply walk past and take very little notice of. The kind of people that society puts this label on as is. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time in his three years of ministry around what some would say are the wrong kind of people, didn't he? The kind of people that didn't necessarily fit into the context of society in that day. Well, here we find Jesus. He's walking around the lake when he encounters one of those wrong kind of people. He encounters Levi, the tax collector. And when you first read this story, you, you, you might think, well, that's kind of a weird spot to find a tax collector, isn't it? Beside a lake? Shouldn't he be fishing or something? That's what everyone else was probably doing around the lake. But here's this tax collector, and you have to understand in that that culture, in that time, the tax collectors, they were often found in, in this type of booth next to the roads. And so along major trade routes and along areas where people would be coming up from making money at their job or whatever, you'd find a tax booth. And so it was a little bit more maybe like a toll collector or something like that, like on a toll road. And people that would pass by would pay him this toll. And that's who Levi was. He was this tax collector. And it may not seem that significant to us, his job and all. I mean, we have people here at Shore that are tax collectors. They work for the IRD. Now, Don't get nervous, Franklin. They're off duty today. But you know, it doesn't seem that significant to us. But in that first century Roman culture, a tax collector were not, tax collectors were not what you might say held in high regard. In fact, people looked down on them because of the job that they were doing. And so Levi was one of these tax collectors, and the whole society would have looked at him like he had the wrong job. Because, first of all, he worked for the Roman government. And, of course, that was a bad thing if you were a Jew because they viewed Rome as this great conqueror who had taken over their people. And so, first off, he's, look, he's working for the wrong people, the wrong side. And so, his fellow Jews would have seen him very much as a traitor to his people. And then, as a tax collector, the, the Roman government had said that the tax collectors should, should collect a, an appropriate amount, and so all the tax collectors, they would collect that amount for Rome, but then the government allowed these guys to collect anything on top of that that they wanted, and so you can imagine some of the tax collectors, they were getting rich off the hard work of others, and so the people had a had just despised these tax collectors. And they would have looked at Levi as someone who was cheating people out of their hard-earned money. They would have looked at him as a thief or a swindler or something like that. But you know, this is where you see the nature of Jesus. Because Jesus looked at him differently than everyone else. And so when I read the story of Levi, I get this great sense of hope building up in me. Because you get this indelible sense that Jesus has a special and unique ability to see us differently than what other people see us. And when you read the Gospel of Mark, you see that Mark wasn't all that interested in the minute details of a story. He kind of leaves you hanging on some of the details when he tells these stories. But his real intent, I think, was to give his readers this biographical sketch of who Jesus was, his true essence and character of the man Jesus, and of his mission here on earth. And so, that's what you find in the story of Levi. Now, you find another controversy, kind of, when you read the scholarly works and the commentaries. They think that there was a, there's a little bit of controversy as to whether or not the story of Levi in the book of Mark is the same story as the story of Matthew in the book of Matthew. And so, you have this bit of controversy. Some scholars think that Levi and Matthew are the same name are two names for the same person, kind of like Simon Peter or John Mark. So you have Matthew Levi or Levi Matthew. I don't know how you'd say that. But, you know, the importance of the story is not whether or not Levi and Matthew are the same person or two different people. Rather, the importance is that Jesus came alongside this tax collector, this wrong kind of person, this as-is type person, and he called him and he befriended him. So let's look at that. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and following. (coughs) Verse 13. It says, Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. There you go, the first instance where you feel like you're missing some of the details. So you're telling me that Levi, all of a sudden Jesus said, follow me, and that's the only words he spoke, and all of a sudden Jesus, or uh, Levi, got up and followed him. You feel kind of like you're missing some of the story. Because whatever Jesus must have said in that point in time, it was so, fro- so profound that it made Levi drop everything he was doing, drop his job, and follow Jesus. Now maybe Levi had encountered Jesus teaching somewhere else, because Jesus was very popular in this time. In fact, large crowds used to follow Jesus around wherever he went. And so he was a well-known person. And probably Levi had heard something of his character and nature. Maybe he would heard Jesus preach before. But we don't get that kind of detail from Mark. But the thing you see immediately is this, this is really the first, kind of the first outworking of that new exodus. That Mark has been bringing about for the Jewish people the new exodus that Rubens talks so much about in the last couple of passages. This is it, the first kind of outworking of that new exodus in somebody's personal life. Because, because you see in Levi a changed and transformed life immediately, right then and there. And you soon discover then that it is in Jesus that this new exodus takes place, and this new exodus <coughs> is happening. Because Jesus offers us a chance to have a changed life. He offers us this chance to to start over again, start fresh and new with a changed and transformed life, to leave behind that life in the past and to start living fresh and new with Jesus Christ. But all we're told about this story is that Levi got up and he followed Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, it adds this little phrase that we should be careful not to miss out on. Luke chapter 5, the same story says, Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Left everything. I think it's a crucial couple of words there. Because for Levi, this was truly a new exodus, a new chapter in his life, in his own personal life. He left everything else behind and simply got up and followed Jesus, leaving everything else behind. And then the next thing you read is Jesus is, is eating a meal at Levi's house. Again, you kind of feel like, well, you missed some of the conversation there. Verse uh, 15 it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, here, you, here it is again. You see that Jesus is surrounded by that as-is kind of people. The religious society's leaders of the day, those Pharisees called them the wrong kind of people. I like how the message version of the Bible put it. It said, Later Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had been become followers. And the religious scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, and lit into his disciples, saying, what kind of example is this, acting cozy with the riffraff? That's pretty well put. That's how the Pharisees looked down upon these people, these wrong kind of people, the kind of people that what you see is what you get, the riffraff, as they put it. But look at Jesus' response here in verse 17. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come to call the righteous, or I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I liked how one commentary put it, had Jesus only come to save the righteous, then His coming was a waste of time. His coming would have been a waste of time had He only come to save those who didn't need saving. But more to the point is this, that really no one is righteous before God. You have to understand the word sinner in this context, it really didn't mean so much fallen human beings as much as it meant those kind of people that didn't fit into the, into the mold that the Pharisees thought they should have fit into. And so the word sinner, it could have meant that they were talking about thieves and, and murderers, but it could have also meant that they were talking about some guy who didn't wash his hands the appropriate number of times according to the Pharisaic law. And so when you encounter this word in the context It's really meaning something like the misfits of society, those sinners. Those people that didn't follow all the Jewish customs the way the Pharisees thought that they should have followed them. I like how the Kiwi Bible put it, those bunch of write-offs. The bunch of people that uh, we don't have much time for, the Pharisees would have said. But you see, Jesus is making this profound statement. He's saying that he can only help those who recognize that they are sick. Jesus can only help those who recognize that they have a need for him. You see, there's one kind of person that Jesus can do nothing for. And it's the kind of person who who thinks that their life is all together and that they have no need for him. Jesus can't do anything for that person. But there's one person that Jesus can do everything for. And that's the person who acknowledges that they're a sinner and they need him that they are a sinner, and they know it. That's the kind of person that Jesus can come alongside and totally transform their lives. I want to take you to a parable found in Luke chapter 18. Here again, Jesus is addressing those Pharisees. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Jesus says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness that's the Pharisees, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth, Of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See the difference between the two prayers? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you in my life. Please have mercy on me. It's kind of like that first rule in overcoming an addiction. First of all, you have to come to the point that you admit you've got a problem. See, each of us, before Jesus can do anything in our lives, we have to come to that point where we admit to Jesus we've got a problem. That problem is sin. Romans three twenty three says that for all have sinned and fallen short. No one is excluded. We've all sinned. We all fall into that same category as sinners. Therefore, we all kind of fall into that same category as the wrong kind of people. And only Jesus can make us into the right kind of people with the right kind of righteousness that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to some of the descriptions that some of the the, uh, great Christian leaders of time said about themselves. Listen to what Augustine said. He said, Lord, save me from that wicked man myself. John Knox, the great reformer out of Scotland, he confessed, in youth, in middle age, and now after many battles, I find nothing in me but corruption. John Wesley wrote, I am fallen short of the glory of God. My whole heart is altogether corrupt and abominable. And consequently, my whole life, being an evil tree, cannot bring forth good fruit. Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother said, vile and full of sin am I. Then when you read Scripture, you see the Apostle Peter said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, He said, Christ Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And then the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. You see, within all of those Christian leaders, those people that we admire and respect for their dedication before God, for the way that they lived their lives and the way that they handled Scripture and the re- reformations really that they brought about in society and culture. You see, in each one of them, they recognized a the deep, deep need for Jesus Christ, for the great physician, the great doctor to come into their life and to heal that one component in their life that they could not get rid of. Sin and the need for the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. There is none righteous, no, not one. You see, that was the problem with the Pharisees that Jesus was addressing there in this story of the calling of Levi. The Pharisees thought that they were righteous. And they they thought that they could gain this righteousness by the things that they did by living a, a better life than everyone else, by trying to do more good deeds than everyone else. They thought that in some way they could gain this righteousness on their own and therefore they didn't need this Jesus who was their long-awaited Messiah. But the problem is when, you, when you've broken one part of the law, you've broken all the law and that's what the Pharisees refused to recognize. You know, it reminded me of a story that I'd heard one time about two brothers. <coughs> two brothers. These two brothers, they were, they were evil, really. They were very wealthy. They were rich. They had a lot of money. But they used their wealth for evil purposes. Yet they were, they were able to keep those purposes undercover. And so much of the public didn't recognize it. They didn't know that they were using their money for evil. In fact, these two brothers, they attended church regularly. Everyone at church, they looked upon these two brothers like they were great men of faith. They were strong Christians. They were almost looked at like perfect Christians. After all, they served in the church. They gave great sums of money to the church. They came regularly to church. And so people looked upon them as if they were, they were good Christian men. Well, it came time for the old pastor of the church to retire. And so, so he retired and the church hired a new young pastor. And this new young pastor, he was pretty sharp and he could see, he could see into the heart of these two brothers and he knew right away there was something suspicious about them. But this young preacher, he was very talented, he, was, he could speak well and he was a good leader and the church began to grow in number and it grew so large that they were going to have to enter into a building program. And so they, they started to send out letters to everyone, they started to uh, raise funds in this fundraising campaign and so... The church was going really well but along about that same time one of the brothers died suddenly of a heart attack and he died suddenly of a heart attack and this made his brother the brother that survived very sad because he loved the brother that died and he wanted to honor him in some way and so he went to this young pastor and thought and said to him the only way that I can honor my brother is to give you this check and he handed the pastor a check that covered the entire sum of the fundraising, raising campaign. It would have paid for all of their debt. But the brother said, there's one thing that I want you to do in order for me to give you this check. Tomorrow at the funeral, I need you to say that my brother was a saint. And the pastor thought about this for a while and he thought, all right, I can do that. And so he took the check from the brother. He deposited it in the church bank account. And then the next day at the funeral, the pastor, he didn't hold back He said it like it was about his brother. He said this man was an evil man. He said he cheated on his wife, he abused his family, he just went on and on and on about this in the eulogy, in this eulogy message. And then at the end of the message, he concluded by saying, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Yeah, you never know about me, do you? I don't really know what the point of that story was. But the point Jesus is making here is that no one is a saint. No one's a saint. Everyone is in need of a Savior. You see, Jesus associated with these people who were sick spiritually, who needed something more in their lives. And he associated with these sick people spiritually because they were willing to acknowledge a need and respond to the offer that Jesus was given to them. You see, Jesus has given you that offer today. He's offering each and every one of us this offer of a new heart, really, a new life, a newfound righteousness, an opportunity to have your own new exodus and to start your life fresh and new again. And every day you can do that with Jesus. Wake up with Jesus and live that new life again with Him. The great thing about Jesus is He knows that you're going to sin, He knows that each and every one of us are sinners. But the great and wonderful thing about Jesus is that He he looks past that tag on each of our shoulders that says, as is. He looks past that and He sees in us the people that only He can make us into. Jesus doesn't care if society labels you as the wrong kind of person. He looks past all of that stuff. Jesus will take you as is and transform you, transform your life and shape it and mold it into the life that only he can make it into. You see, Jesus wants so much more for each one of your lives than you could ever get on your own. He wants to come alongside you and transform your life so that you no longer feel guilty of that sin, but you move past that and you live a life of righteousness because of your gratefulness of the grace that you have found in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of those sins. And the great thing about Jesus is He forgives you today. He forgives you tomorrow. He forgives you each and every day. And that's what, that's what made Levi drop everything and get up and follow Him. I'm going to pray in a moment and then invite you just to sit and meditate and think about the words that are in this next song that Lisa's going to bring. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you will move in each one of us and that today of all days can be this new exodus in our own personal lives where we can leave that old life behind and begin to live for you today, recognizing the grace that you've brought into our lives, the forgiveness of sins the strength that we can have only with you. Lord, I thank you for the power that you bring in our lives through your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Spirit will lead in us, that you will open the hearts and minds of people here today to hear from you, God, and that you will move amongst us. Father, it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.